Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Alrighty, everybody. So before we bring on our friends from Born Ready 2 Pod for our Super Pacers podcast, I wanted to remind you about our two podcasts that we released earlier this week. Mike Focci on Wednesday did a sit-down interview with Bleacher Reporters, Howard Beck. Howard's been covering the league for a very long time, so I encourage you guys to check that out. And myself and Kent Sterling on Monday released our episode breaking down the top 11 to 20 players in Pacers history. So make sure you check that out. And all right, I'm going to get out of the way and hope you guys enjoy today's episode where we have the Born Ready 2 Pod podcast join us as well as former Indiana Pacers PA announcer Michael Grady. All right, we'll talk to you all later. And Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. But this is not just any original episode. This is a Super Pacers podcast, Born Ready to Set the Pace. We are joined by the Born Ready 2 pod guys. Gentlemen, what's going on? What's up? How are you doing? Just sitting here with our masks on, you know, avoiding each other like the plague. We are born ready to stay away from the coronavirus. Absolutely. And, of course, Fachi, what's going on, brother? Hey, always happy to be here. Even better to talk Pacer basketball with some diehard Pacer fans. Born ready to pod. Glad to have you on. Feels like a yearly tradition. Absolutely. We're uh, we're looking forward to it. this bracket you guys put together. Uh, we got some cool matchups here. Specifically, uh, your guys' second round matchups. I know you've moved a little past that, but I mean, there were some teams there that we had to talk about, right? Yeah, absolutely, definitely, and. Uh... Which ones do you want to start with first here? Well, let's just start off there with the uh, ding, dock, ding Dong, the Witch is Dead bracket. We've got the 97-98 Pacers as the one seed, taking on the four seed, 1990 Pacers, 1991 Indiana Pacers team. So, Hawk, I know this was a matchup that really intrigued you. What are your thoughts on this matchup here? 
Yeah, I mean, the 97-98 team has no business losing to the 90-91 team, so that's going to be a blowout. But just some interesting uh, notes from the matchup that I picked up on because I had nothing else to do. Uh, 97-98, this was Michael Jordan's last playoff run. You know, there was a lot of talk that it was his most impressive. You know, they had went on this crazy run, and all they had left in the tank they put into this. And this was the only Game 7 Michael Jordan ever had in the Eastern Conference Finals or NBA Finals. So that alone is impressive. The Pacers got at least there. You know, they've had some great Game 7s against some great players. We all remember the LeBron James game. So this is just another one. You know, that Game 7 was utterly disappointing, as most games go with the Pacers against these amazing players. We gave up 22 offensive rebounds in that Game 7. And the Pacers had a guy on their team named Dickie Simpkins, so that's worth noting. (laughs) And that was Larry Bird's Coach of the Year year. So 97-98 was one of the better years in Pacers history, up to that point for sure. So that one's tough to beat. And then you got 90-91, the first year of the Flojos, Everyone's kind of favorite jersey from that era. Mm-hmm. Dick Versace was the coach of the Pacers to start the year. Just an incredible name, Dick Versace. They were 9-16 and 16 to start before Bob Hill took over and led them to the playoffs. So um, anything else from that? Let's see. This was the last playoff series Larry Bird would ever win. And the one before was the last playoff series Michael Jordan ever won going against each other. So some historical significance in that matchup. That's a matchup I kind of like. Do you guys have anything else on that? Yeah, I, I mean, 97-98, that's a obvious blowout to me. I think, feel like if you vote 90-91 there, I mean, the only reason I would do that is because I was born in 1990. And, you know, that was just a good year to be alive. So uh, <laughs> I wouldn't uh, – There's this isn't even a close matchup. So a lot of people, they picked the 97-98 team. You had the Reggie Miller push-off moment, you know, on Michael Jordan, the sh- big three-point shot. Uh, I mean, this is an obvious choice to me, but it does kind of feel like, you know, maybe the 90, 91 team, you know, I I think Rick Smith was drafted in like 88 or something like that. But this was, you know, maybe a stepping stone to those middle uh, Pacers teams or middle 90s. Uh, mid-90s teams that we saw from the Pacers. So uh, a solid stepping stone that 90-91 team was, but this matchup's, you know, not even close. 97-98 in a blowout. Yeah, and I think just kind of looking looking through this this starting five and bench, I mean, we all know the 97-98 team was, was really good. Um, Antonio Davis, Jalen Rose, Travis Best coming off the bench, Austin Crozier, um, had his moments as well in the playoffs. And Derek McKee was the starter for several years as, uh, with the Pacers before that 97-98 uh, season. So, I mean, this 97-98 team was it was one of the best Pacer teams of all time, I think. It clearly better than the 1990-1991 team. The, the thing that I keep going back to, um, according to the preseason odds, this 97-98 team, even though it was great, they were still at plus 2,500 to oh, win. Wow. And and so that that is incredible, um, and it's really a testament for how great that team was. That's really a testament to how everyone viewed that Michael Jordan. Um, I want to fact check you? Where did where did you find those odd numbers at? They're currently on my sheet of paper. <laughs> but where did you find them? <laughs> I didn't find them. I just just throwing that out there. Go ahead. Okay, I, I apologize. I was given I was given this list. I know listeners can't see this, so I I just thought everyone was on the same page. So I apologize for Chris's dumbassery. But um, 
at twenty plus twenty five hundred, it really just uh, kind of speaks to how like Vegas in the world viewed Michael Jordan at this time, even though he's uh, obviously his career was coming to an end. So mm-hmm. I think this ninety seven ninety eight Bulls team, um, kind of like some of those teams that had to face LeBron in his prime um, in in the two thousands. Um, it's just kind of unfortunate. It seems like every time the Pacers are ready to compete for a championship, there's always uh, the young stud or or the legend kind of in their way. So. Um, Great team, and I think clearly uh, the number one seed, 1997-1998 team, would would walk all over the 1990-1991 team. So, Dick Versace or not, it just isn't enough. (laughs) I I completely agree. I mean, you're talking about that 97-98 team. They were 7-2 through the first two rounds of the playoffs. A team that was top five in defense and offense, and Sounds kind of made up, but they actually shot 39% from three that year. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe like a gentleman's sweep, a little five-game series mm-hmm. in that round, 97-98. I'm giving them the nod here. I think only the GOAT himself could have taken out that Pacers team. So it only seems fitting that 97-98 is getting past 90-91. And Larry Bird, I mean, just it was just a three-year span as a head coach, but – you know, another thing you touched on, how Bird's last playoff series win against the Pacers, well, in this series, he's coaching the Pacers. So makes it even cooler. Uh, I think that in this series, 97-98 all the way. Uh, Alex, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that one. Well, yeah, I think it's pretty obvious from our voting committee, they were unanimous in picking the number one seed over the number four. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And um, before, just a fun fact, uh, I asked Mark Monteith for his top ten teams to kind of help me with the rankings because I was like, he's seen enough Pacers basketball that he would know uh, a little bit more about these older teams that we probably didn't get to watch being so young. But he said that the 97-98 team is the best Pacers team he's seen in franchise history. So that's why they got the number one seed on the top left, similar to the March Madness. So yeah, this is an easy one for me. But let's move on to the second and last game in uh, the Sweet 16 of the uh, Ding Dong, the Witch's Dead bracket. We've got the number three seed, 2002-2003 Pacers, the only year I believe Brad Miller was on the team, and the 1993-1994 team that lost to the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals as the two seeds. So, Hawk, you've been doing all that research. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? You want to go to Chris first? I'm going to start Chris on this one. He knows the 2002-03 team a little better than I do. Okay. Yeah, so uh, I mean, ninety three, ninety four, great season. I'm, I'm sure you're going to mention the Reggie Miller twenty five points versus the Knicks uh, in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. that season. So I'll let you get into that, but I'll go into the oath two, oh three first. Um, this team was very promising, but also very disappointing at the same time. Forty eight wins. Uh, this was Isaiah Thomas's last season as the Pacers head coach. Um, yeah. I believe he. Yeah, I believe he was there for three seasons. So you had mentioned Larry Bird being the head coach. That three-year rule that Bird has in place, even though he wasn't there, Bird was there three years. Isaiah Thomas comes in for three years, and then they moved on to Rick Carlisle. But anyways, uh, I mean, this team was solid. They they had a you know solid starting five: Jamal Tinsley, Reggie Miller, Ron Artest, Jermaine O'Neal, and Brad Miller. I believe Brad Miller and Jermaine O'Neal were both all-stars that season. Um, And then off the bench, you had Al Harrington, Jeff Foster, uh, Ron Mercer, and Austin Crozier. 
uh, Fred Jones, and then for like you know the last part of the season, Tim Hardaway, the original Tim Hardaway, he signed a contract to finish the season with the Pacers, um, so he was a backup point guard. So this team had a lot of promise. Like I said, two All Stars. Uh, they made that trade to send our test Miller and uh, Ron Mercer the year before. Uh, so this was their full first full season playing together. Um, one of my well, I wouldn't say one of my favorite teams, but growing up, this was obviously you know one of those teams that I grew up watching um religiously and you know that first round series against the Celtics that was just a complete bummer uh the Pacers were the third seed uh the Celtics were the sixth seed and I mean they just completely manhandled us in that series I think they won in six games um so a very disappointing a solid roster but a very disappointing uh season for the Pacers so uh I'll let Hawk get onto the 93-94 notes but I think also in my eyes I have to give the nod to 93-94 here uh just simply because I'm not saying maybe that there wasn't more talent on the 0203 but they choked in the first round and with that you can't move on to the sweet 16 in my eyes yeah, the 93-94 team kind of did the opposite of what the 02-03 team did. Uh, they finished the season winning eight straight games to push themselves into the five seed, and then they ended up sweeping the Magic in the first round of the playoffs. And I think that was the first NBA postseason series victory in franchise history. So that's pretty significant. And then later on, the Eastern Conference Finals against the Knicks. Uh, I think it's safe to say that Game 7 victory is, what, the biggest game in Knicks history that they, they did there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they got to that pivotal moment. They got farther. You know, they when they counted, they played their best. And so that's why I think they get the nod here. And kind of to piggyback, I mean, I think they um, both Chris and Hawk there did a nice job breaking down both teams. So I'm going to kind of ride a soapbox here. Um, just kind of like – it just always bothered. I never liked Jamal Tinsley. I know that's pretty unpopular. I think that was one of Chris's favorite guys at the time. But before like, the strip club, before the strip club incident, and How I many actually, of them? and I actually became a bigger fan after the strip club incident. <laughs> so, um, but no, I mean, if you really think about it, like we went from you know Mark Jackson uh, to Jamal Tinsley, and they had such similar. Um, they had such similar games. I mean, it was like a slow it down. Obviously, Tinsley kind of battled some weight problems. But I really think in those early 2000s, if we could have had a point guard that really pushed the tempo, it was kind of becoming like the new school way of playing, right? Like your point guard can score, can do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And really, Tinsley, if you if you take a look at some of these other teams on the list, and it, you know if your memory serves you correctly, like Tinsley was never – I don't think he ever sprinted. I don't even like did Jamal Tinsley ever sprint in his life? Like, I don't think he did. Like he was just so slow and slow it down. So I actually kind of think that 1993, 1994 team um, with some of those hardworking guys, obviously Derek McKee, you know, he was still a starter. Dale Davis, uh, Rick Smith's kind of coming into his own. I kind of think they would just outwork this, this 2002, 2003 team. And I think the, that 2002, 2003 team had more talent. But I just think 1993, 1994, clicking on all cylinders, and I and I really do, I really do think that they would they would come out on top against the uh, Jamal Tinsley led offense uh, of 2002, 2003. Shout out Pooh Richardson. Yeah, shout out Pooh Pooh Richardson. And but you know what, 2002, 2003 had Primo Brzezik and uh, Jonathan Bender, so two favorites, uh, two favorites, and Pacer lore. So and Larry Brown's out coaching Isaiah Thomas every day of the week. My uh, God, yeah. I mean that's not close. So that's my two. 
In fact, on the coaching over there, I mean, I, I got to go with 93-94, a team that you know, just came up short. I mean, nearly going to the NBA Finals there. That 0-2-0-3 team, the talent is there. Some of those guys were just a little too young. Like, I feel like Ron Artest, Jermaine O'Neal, like, those guys, I feel like if it was maybe two years later, I feel like they're in basically – maybe even a year later, MVP-type form. You know, Ron Artest coming into Defensive Player of the Year, Jermaine O'Neal finishing top three in MVP. Shout-out to Jermaine. Anytime I can shout him out, I love it. But, you know, the 93-94 team, I feel like you got guys, like, just as you mentioned, they would outwork you. Uh, the Davises right there, just Rick Smiths. I mean, Reggie Miller just really more, like, in, I feel like, kind of prime Reggie uh, those mid two th- uh, mid nineties. I feel like when it comes down to coaching, no brainer there with Larry Brown. So I, while I feel closer to that o two o three team because those are the guys I really like grew up watching. Ninety three ninety four. I feel like it was just more a little bit more physical. I think they'd get the job done. I think maybe this could go to like a you know six seven game series, but ninety three ninety four is walking out with it. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, you look at the 03-04 team, and that's the 61-21 and 21 team. So just a year later, they went on to be the best, uh, have the best record in franchise history, winning 61 games. So I think it was just a year away from you know this team really reaching its max potential. And I think losing in the first round probably was kind of a you know an eye-opener for like, hey, we were the better team, but we have to work on some things to become a dominant team. But if I'm not mistaken, Chris, you might know this better than me, but was this the series that Ron Artest pulled Paul Pierce's pants down or shorts down? Uh, it was that year. I don't know if it was in the series, but I do remember that happening. It might have happened during this regular season. I remember that because it was so funny. Right. Ron wrote that song about him. <laughs> yes, that, it definitely was that year that it happened. Absolutely. Well, we've got about... Eight more minutes before we have to move on and take a break. So let's quickly go to the next round here. We're going to talk about the, uh, I think this is the, I think this is the smothered chicken bracket. So we've got the 2003-2004 Pacers, which I just mentioned, going up against the 92-93 five-seed Indiana Pacers team. Uh, They got the upset over the 2018-2019 Indiana, or no, 2014-2015. No, wait a second. Yeah, 20, was it 2018-2019? I can't remember. Yeah, it was. 2015-2016, uh, I thought. 03-04 uh, versus 2015-2016. Gotcha. So they got the upset there. So, all right, this one should be a pretty easy one, too. But what are your guys' thoughts on this game? Yeah, I mean, this is a blowout, 03-04. Uh, you know, I I rank ranking my teams. I'm not doing them in any order, but of all time. Definitely in the top three, and I'm sure many other Pacers fans share that sentiment with me, but... Uh, you know, 61 wins, uh, first first seed in the East. I mean, everything was clicking that season. Um, like you guys had mentioned, everything just, you know, one year later, you know, Jermaine O'Neal, top three in MVP voting, run our test, all-star that season as well as defensive player of the year. Uh, they lose Brad Miller, but Jeff Foster steps in, does a serviceable job uh, there in the starting five. Uh, you got Al Harrington, Anthony Johnson. Uh, they had Scott Pollard uh, and Fred Jones and all these other guys off the bench. So uh, one of my favorite teams that I've been able to watch, um, I mean, just it was – that playoff run was solid. I believe the Celtics they had there in the first round. Um, they swept them. Then they beat the Heat. That was Dwayne Wade's first uh, season there. Uh, they beat them in six games. And then uh, that conference finals against Detroit, man, that was that was tough. Uh, that team losing, uh, Ron Artest losing his cool there in game six in Detroit. But 
Uh, this is an even close matchup. I'm not even going to go over the fifth seed. Uh, if you want to go over your notes, you can, but this isn't even close. Oh three, oh four. I mean, it's a, it's, it's got to it, be a they, sweep. They sweep them in two games. That's how. That's how <laughs> much better they are. Yeah, I don't think Pooh Richardson's going to get the job done in that one, guys. But <laughs> back to the oh three, oh four team. There is something we forgot. The Pacers drafted one of two guys to make it to seven straight NBA Finals and a future three time NBA champion. Do you guys know who that is? I do because I'm with Jones. James Jones, one of the great legends of our game. So we got we haven't even factored that he's in. Even, so he's this even, 03 team. He's even more of a legend now because he was the one who sent TJ Warren to the Pacers for cash. Yeah, that's so. true. true. Yeah, he's a, a Pacers legend through and through. So that's the most he did for the Pacers. Yeah, yeah. seriously. <laughs> that that 92-93 team was just basically just Reggie Miller. He played 44 minutes a game in the playoff series, and he, he just we didn't have enough that year. It wasn't even close. So yeah. this 03-04 team sweeps them. Jake, do you have any thoughts? No, I, I do. Like, as I'm looking through these, you know, the older teams, and obviously I was two years old when this season started, so I'm not going to act like I know. I, I was going to say I'm not going to act like I know what the hell was going on. But Oh, you do. If, Exactly, but if if you look at these teams, like you, kind of, I just get the feeling if we we're like a point guard away from being solid, like a good point guard. I mean, uh, early Reggie Miller obviously is better than uh, older Reggie Miller. Dallas Shrimp was always a serviceable player on the offensive and defensive end. Dale Davis, tough. He's my favorite Pacer of all time. And then Rick Smith's younger. I mean, he was solid. I mean, he was solid his whole career for the Pacers. I mean, the, and they got some guys on the bench here. Uh, Vern Fleming, he was a starter at one point. Malik Seeley had a good NBA career. And Sam Mitchell wasn't terrible. So um, uh, Kenny Williams, I mean, th- that team could have been solid. Um, and obviously uh, over the next couple of years, they, they kind of round into form. But I kind of look at this. I think it's a little closer than what everybody's saying, but I think clearly uh, the the first the first seeded uh, 2003-2004 Pacers team just absolutely rolls over the Pooh Richardson-led offense, I think. I have one more point here that I just want to make real quick. It's uh, regarding Coach Bob Hill. If you compare this, and I'm only looking at two teams here, but 90-91 Bob Hill, head coach there we talked about earlier, seventh best offense uh, the Pacers had that season, uh, and they had the 26th uh, defense in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Compare that to 92-93 with Bob Hill. Hill still at the helm, fifth best offense, 21st uh, best defense. So it kind of looks like Bob Hill was ahead of his time. I mean, uh, he had a, put a stress there on offense, and you know maybe the Pacers, if they're looking to improve their offense, they should give him a call this offseason, and maybe he's interested in an assistant coaching job. I don't know, but well, that's uh, feeling. Traded, that's when Larry Brown came in. That's why they traded Detlef for Derek McKee because the Larry Brown wanted more defense, where you know Bob Hill was more offense. Yeah. So uh, give Bob a give Bob a call if he's still still out there, still alive, uh, and you know let's get him on the coaching staff next year. I'm all for it. Also, what we got to factor in: Rick Carlisle led Pacers. I mean, a great coach that I feel like was just such a shame to see him move on because it really felt like. Rick Carlisle was destined to win a championship at some point. Did it with the Mavs. Uh, even just puts the icing on the cake for that 0304 team. I feel like this is one that we don't need to cover too much because this, this series isn't close at all. That 0304 team, I think, holds a special place in pretty much everyone's heart. And it's just regarded as the Pacers were probably the best team that year. I mentioned it before. If the Pistons don't get Rasheed Wallace, I think the Pacers win it all. Because that Lakers team was falling apart at the seams. 
in the NBA Finals. So 03-04, I think in four games, if not five, just to just to be kind to other Pacer teams. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think you're right on the, the money there, Fachi. But, you know, this next matchup is one that I think a lot of our fans are excited to hear about. We got the number three seed 2011-2012 Pacers going up against the 2012-2013 Pacers in the 2-3 matchup. And who else would be better to bring on to join us and talk about this than the guy that was sitting there courtside watching all the games. So we're going to bring on Michael Grady to talk about that game with us. We'll be right back after this. All right, so we're going to talk about this pivotal 2012-2013 game, and it's got, you know, some of the most favorite Pacers teams of this past decade on it, and the person that was there watching it all was our guy, Michael Grady, you know, uh, Mr. Indiana, you guys know who he is, Mr. Trifecta, joining us right now on the phone line. So, Grady, thanks for coming on. Oh, good to be on with you guys. So, just, I mean, you know these rosters from 2011-2012, 2012-2013, what were your thoughts on these two teams and how they were constructed? And you know, it was a young it was a young team, and then they got a little bit more experience, made it to the Eastern Conference Finals the next year. But talk to us a little bit about this matchup and what's intriguing to you. Uh, you know, I think um, experience is probably the biggest uh, biggest difference between the two. And that 2011-2012 team, you know, coming together, starting to figure things out, had the postseason experience from the year prior. Um, and, and then just a, just a tough, tough matchup, uh, in the Eastern Conference, you know, semifinals, of course, uh, with the, with the Miami Heat. And so that team from a year later, a little bit more, you know, a little bit more experience, understood what they had to do to get to that next level, which would get past LeBron, Dwayne, Bosch, and the Miami Heat. And they just had a completely different mindset. So it wasn't, hey, we're happy to be here or anything like that. It was, no, we got to, we have to we have to beat these guys and this is the level that we need to that we need to play at in order to get the job done so the confidence was really the difference in addition to some individual improvements from from uh, some different guys as well hey great what was your thoughts on the bench during that time in mean, 2011 2012 the Pacers come up short against the heat in that round two I mean then they go in the off season they they try and make enough moves to to basically boost up that bench. Did you feel like going into the next season they did a good enough job to be able to take on the heat? Because as you know, obviously, the Pacers made a lot of improvements. They go to the next round. They lose in the conference finals in game seven. I mean, it was tough. Did you think they did a good enough job kind of getting that bench to where it had to be to match Miami? Uh, they pr- they probably could have used um, another like a, a key veteran, a guy who has been there before. I think you know sometimes with these championship teams, you see them or championship caliber teams. Let's take this season for example, the Clippers. You know they keep adding these different veterans um, on their roster. You know key guys, veterans who have been around to help them. The Los Angeles Lakers, for example, with. Danny Green and having other veterans on the roster, um, guys who have, in some cases have been there or guys who are still, who are veterans and are hungry who want to win a championship. Um, and so it's, it's really the talent is one thing, but I feel like experience on that bench is another, is another really important thing that you need, not just, not just talent and ability. So to me, I feel like 
if you're in a situation where you don't have guys who have been there or have had this crazy veteran experience or have won a championship, then these guys have to have a crazy appetite for competition. And, um, and I felt like there were guys in both seasons that didn't live up to what they needed to do in order to win a title. And so, you know, we see, we make this analogy in boxing, you know, you can't, you're not going to beat a, a defending champion by a decision. You've got to knock the champion out if you want the crown. And that's, that's what the Pacers needed to do. And they just didn't have enough guys who had that bulldog mentality or veterans or whatever it may be to get the job done. So to answer your question, um, ultimately because they lost, the answer is no, but, there were I, 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 there were guys on that roster in the 2012-2013 season, and the, and the year before, too, that could have given a lot more. Leandro Barbosa in that 2011-2012 season, if I'm not mistaken, could have given a lot more. And I think those guys, in hindsight, would probably admit to that. You have to give everything you have if you want an opportunity to beat a team as talented as the Miami Heat team was. And I think I think there were guys on that roster that had a little bit more in the tank to give. Yeah, I got a quick question here. Was the block against Carmelo Anthony that Roy Hibbert had, was that the biggest moment for Roy Hibbert, and that, did that moment destroy the Knicks after that in your eyes? Uh, it, it, it definitely, I mean, in, in hindsight, sitting where we are now, yeah, it definitely, um, definitely destroyed the Knicks. Um, they had expectations of getting to the conference finals. I don't think anybody expected them to come out of the East. But they were supposed to beat Indiana and get to the conference finals, and that failing to reach expectation got people further against Carmelo Anthony. Um, I think it was understood that the type of direct the direction that the NBA was going and sharing the ball and different things like that um, was something that Carmelo Anthony was having a tough time adapting to. And if you have an, an ISO heavy player who is your best player. It's going to be very difficult to advance in the postseason with so many teams, you know, being predicated on ball movement. And so even though Paul George, Danny Granger was the star one year, Paul George was the next year in in the matchup that we're talking about, um, George Hill was involved, Lance was involved, Roy was involved, David West was involved. With the Knicks, it was mellow. You know, and the times that they were dangerous, there were guys like Chris Copeland who would get hot or another player who would get hot, and that made things interesting. But for the most part, if they found a way to shut down Carmelo, then they then the, then the Pacers had their numbers. So from that standpoint, I think there was a huge realization on the side of New York, and it's like, what, okay, what, what do we do here? Because I don't know that we can get to where we want to go with this guy, even with him being as talented as he is, and um, uh, definitely easy for Roy. That was the that was the biggest moment of his his career uh, by far, and it was a spectacular a block that you can ha- that you can have in a game, a playoff game, whatever it may be. And uh, I just remember the place exploding um, after that particular block. It was tremendous. Great. I think I'm just sitting over here looking at the the benches between the two teams, and I think clearly the 2011-2012 team had a deeper bench. Uh, then 2012-2013 with, uh, you know, that 2012-2013 team had Ben Hansborough, Jeff Pendergraft, Orlando Johnson, and like Sam Young at the end of the bench. Those guys clearly were not big factors, but kind of, I just, I, I want your perspective on the backup point guard job here between DJ Augustine in 2012 and 2013 and, and Darren Collison in 2011 and 2012. 
Yeah, um, I, I really, I, I, um, I, I got a great deal of respect for both guys, but I didn't look at those as guys that could get you over over the hump. And um, I just, you know, DJ Augustine is a very talented player. Made up, you know, scored a lot of points in his career. Dished a lot of dimes. Played on some talented teams. Um, uh, Darren Collison is certainly a talented player. But even coming off the bench in a backup role, I just didn't look at those guys as, as, as largely reliable. And, and don't forget, even with the talk about the backup point guard, you know, George Hill was largely inconsistent during that time. And so when George would have an off game and then he would have a game where he would play well and then we have another off game and then the conversation would just continue. Yeah, I need to, I need to figure out how to do this every single night. And it wasn't so much missing shots. It was taking shots. You know, so you had a, you had an issue with inconsistency from the from the starting point guard spot, and then your backup with Darren Collison, who wasn't a, you know a yeah. largely reliable, hasn't been a largely reliable shooter. Uh, DJ Augustine, who was you know hot and cold, uh, much in the, much in the same way, and not reliable in terms of being a complete floor general. So uh, there were certainly flaws, um, certainly flaws on both sides. And to answer the question on who, you know, who do you like more? Who do you like more? It really was on a given day. Darren had games where it was like, oh, he's, he's you know, he's proven his value just like DJ would, you know, the following season. But um, I never felt, I don't think anybody felt completely comfortable on a game in, game out basis. And, and so to answer, going back to a question from earlier in terms of the backup point guard spot, I, I felt like that was an opportunity there where they were, that could have been upgraded in a in a very different way uh, to help to help the team out, or certainly be a better complement to George Hill when he had a game when he wasn't as aggressive. Yeah, I got one more question about the 2012-2013 season. That's to do with the playoffs against Miami. It was Game Two versus the Heat. LeBron makes a deep three to end the third quarter, and then Paul George and LeBron James do a little high five after LeBron's three to bring it within two. Still a quarter to be played. You're in the heat of the moment. That is kind of when I knew we were toast in the series. And there was, of course, George wanted to work out with LeBron, you know, that offseason and stuff. And I remember specifically listening to your show, and I believe you were not a fan of that in the moment. And I remember a lot of people just talking, they just they were not a fan. Have, have you eased up on that, or what's, what was your take on that at the time? And now we're kind of in that NBA where, you know, all guys are friends, and we're all okay with that, so it's not a big deal. But I just remember specifically your show being against that. Yeah, you know, I don't, um, I still feel, I still feel the same way. I don't think, you know, Kawhi Leonard was slapping high fives with Philadelphia, you know, if, if Ben Simmons made a big bucket or slapping high five with Giannis Antetokounmpo if they exchanged dunks back to back or doing the same thing in the series with the Golden State Warriors for the championship. I, I, I have an old school mentality. And so this, it's all subjective. Um, there are, you know, Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas would kiss each other on the cheek before they would go to battle and they definitely went after each other. So, and, and so, you know, but when I say my old school, it's the Knicks, Pacers, the battles that those two teams would have, the battles that Mike would have with the bad boy Pistons and then with other teams. Um, uh, just we would see rivalries where there was bad blood and the physicality would go to an entirely different level. And there wasn't any, you know, slapping a high five or laughing or any of that type of stuff with the opposition. Again, if you want to beat the champ, you have to knock the champ out. And so to extend a hand, a high five or whatever it may be, maybe, you know, to a lot of people may be harmless. 
in the grand scheme of things. But I think it gave something away. I think it gave something away in that moment. And you have to have that killer instinct. So instead of, yeah, I just dunked on Birdman and then LeBron hit this three, ha ha, high five, you know, it, it, you know, in my mind, it's, dang, we gave up that three. I'm just, I'm upset about that. We got a quarter to go. Let's go. I'm focused on my guys. Not, oh, LeBron slept high five. I'm in the club. So that was, that was, that was my view on it. Obviously we have the benefit of, you know, again, then looking back in hindsight or whatever and the fact that the Pacers end up losing the series and we see where Paul is at in his career, still very talented, but trying to get to that, um, still trying to get to that mountaintop. If the Pacers had gone on to win that series, then I shut up. It's, it's nothing. But I, I felt and I still feel today that if Paul with his, with his talent, at Lance Stevenson's mentality, I think the Pacers would have been able to win at least one of those series with the Miami Heat. Well, I like it. Now, speaking, I have a question for you, Grady. You know, Granger obviously was not a part of that 2012-2013 team because of injury. But if we have a healthy Danny Granger, number one, do you think that changes the trajectory of that playoff matchup? Or number two, does it stunt the growth of Paul George becoming the guy? Uh, no, I, I think, I, I think had he been healthy, then we would have been, we would have, um, uh, the, the team, all of us as fans, you know, would have been, had a better opportunity to get a feel of whether or not it fit. Um, I, I felt, you know, those years, like Danny was, Danny was pretty much done. Um, and could not find that rhythm again. His best years were, behind him um 100 percent healthy danny granger yeah that 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 may stunt paul george's growth a little bit because i think paul um doesn't mind deferring you know i I think uh i think he is most comfortable in the robin role as opposed to the batman role um and uh, i i feel like danny feeling like look I, i came up here i've got more years here like he wasn't going to give that up and that's always a a tug of war Danny had to wrestle away the the, uh, the the Pacers had to say goodbye to Jamal Tins. I think Jamal was one of the last guys who was refusing to pass the mantle over to Danny Granger when he was trying to be the guy. You know, when he was trying to be Batman, and Jamal was a part of that. You know, uh, that era just before where it was like, no, it's my team, it's my team, it's my team, and the franchise, everybody around is like, no, we're like we're handing the keys to Danny, and so they had to say goodbye to Jamal Tinsley to be able to hand those keys over to Danny. I think Danny would have turned the keys over a little bit more gracefully, but I think Paul not wanting to upset his friend, his big brother, as he would call him, I think he would definitely think it would have stunted his growth. The tough thing is, how do you say goodbye to a guy like that? How do you how do you go about that transition of saying goodbye uh, to, you know, a Danny Granger to give Paul the best opportunity to grow because in some cases for a guy to grow you have to say goodbye to some to some players who have been a part of the franchise for a very long time so i look at it as very unfortunate and i I wish that danny didn't have the knee issue which again a lot of people were saying would would come back to haunt him even from a early age you know very very early in his career like no these knee injuries are going to catch up with danny and we saw that eventually happen but if he had healthy knees um that would have been very interesting to see how he would have uh, fared, and I think he deserved that shot to get to be given every opportunity to, to take down LeBron James and company. And, and he gave it his best shot. You know, he had the, of course, the back and forth and the jawing and that type of thing, which is great. That's why Pacers fans, you know, loved them. But 
Um, I, I think it's very tough that he didn't get an opportunity to be able to take those guys on at full strength. And for us all to have been able to see at full strength what that Pacers team could have been like. Yeah, just completely brutal because what you were talking about before about Paul George maybe lacking that killer instinct, Danny Granger was one of those few guys who he did not take crap from LeBron James. He was not trying to be his best friend. I mean, we saw it before. He got up in LeBron's face. He stood over him at times on hard fouls. I mean, I loved seeing it, and I felt like that was kind of the message you had to send to the rest of the team. So I think just not having him in the the year where it ended up going seven games against the Heat, I think that alone, even if you're not dealing with a 100% healthy Granger, I mean, you gotta you got to believe that just that mentality of we're not going to take crap from them, we're not going to high-five them, it's got to go a long way, doesn't it, Grady? Because that's that sends a message to the team that we're not backing down, and that alone huge miss. Right. Well, the and this is where it falls again, fair or unfair. This is where it still falls on Paul George. Uh, if if and and take any big take any big time team. Um, for example, when Dennis Rodman was on. The Bulls. If Dennis Rodman started messing around with Carl Malone and trying to get under his skin, and Carl gets upset and starts to retaliate and get buckets, well, Dennis has a big brother on the court, and Michael, who's going to go off too, and Michael can offset any type of irritation that that Dennis Rodman puts out towards the opposition. When Ron Artest is playing with Kobe Bryant, look, Kobe can play at a certain level where he can offset anything that Ron can do. Ron may upset a, a, another player, and that player may want to go off, but Kobe can go toe-to-toe to, 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 with that player. Ron's not capable of doing it, just like Dennis was not going to outscore Carl Malone in the game. So um, Lance was never going to back down. Going, you know, We can use Danny as an example. We can use Lance as an example. Lance was never going to back down from LeBron James, but when LeBron got irritated and went off, Lance could do nothing about it. The tough part for Danny, yes, he got in, in LeBron's face. Yes, he stood over him once. But Danny, at that point in his career, wasn't capable of going toe-to-toe and being able to match what LeBron was able to put out, especially in that 2012, 2013, and, and uh, uh, with, his again, his best years being behind him. And so Paul has to be the one to put on the cape in those type of situations. Paul has to be the one that that is Batman in that type of situation. So whether he was too young, unwilling, whatever it was, you uh, it just comes with the territory of being the best player on a team. And so that's what I that's what I say about you know Lance at this dog mental not down to anyone. And I know I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm a second round pick, but here I am going toe to toe with LeBron James, and I'm not backing down. And I appreciated that about Lance. It got out of hand <laughs> at times, but it, it all came from this competitive nature that I think Paul was, Paul was really, really lacking. And so, um, Paul has to be willing to go there and, and not back down. Um, and I don't, I, I just don't feel like we saw that in those playoff series. All right, so just to kind of wrap this up, I'm guessing you're going to take the 2012-2013 team over the 2011-2012 team. I would take the oh yeah, I would take the 2012-2013 team over that 2011-2012 squad. 
Um, I, I just felt like their experience and their mentality was a little bit was a little bit different. They were game in 2011, 2012, uh-huh. but they were also, you know, excited to excited to be there also. Right. And so from that from that standpoint, um, you know, getting that winning four one over the Magic, and then you know they 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 had a nice start to that Miami series, but I, I just felt like um, the mentality was completely different the following year. Absolutely. Well, I don't want to keep you too long. We appreciate you coming on and breaking down that that pivotal game for us. But we've been seeing you tweeting about the new Netflix phenomenon, uh, Tiger King with uh, Joe Exotic. So I don't want to give away too many spoilers because I know my guys here listening. I don't think they've all (laughs) finished the series or started it even. But just kind of give a quick brief synopsis of what you've seen so far and uh, why people should go check it out. Uh, you know, um, well, people should go check it out because you don't have anything else to do. So there's one reason to go check it out. Uh, number two is, is, is just crazy. You know, it's just, it's just bananas, um, uh, is, is, uh, to get lost in a story and you just realize how much craziness there is out there in the world. It, um, uh, in a weird way makes you appreciate the steadiness of your own life, <laughs> even if it might be tumultuous. It's not as crazy as what we see on the screen during that whole show, but, uh, it's like complete entertainment and hilarious that there are characters, uh, like that out there. And so I haven't completely finished it yet, um, but I will soon. But, uh, you know, a good, a good documentary, uh, uh, with twists and turns and, and a hilarious story, um, sign me up. I'm all for it. So Netflix has done a good job and the timing couldn't be better. I, I wish I was watching NBA games, but, um, I'll take, <laughs> I'll take Joe Exotic <laughs> for, for a couple of nights. Of binge watching. <laughs> Michael Grady, you're more Joe Exotic or you're more Carol Baskins if you had to choose. Oh, oh, I. Uh, <laughs> no, that what a terrible question. What a, ter- what a terrible question. I, I guess I'm Carol. I guess I'm Carol. All right, MG, we appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on, and uh, hope to do it again soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks so much. All righty, always good to hear from the one and only Michael Grady there, and we are going to go ahead and listen to Grady's advice and move on uh, with 2012-2013 getting the the win there in that bracket. And so we're going to move on to the next two brackets. And this, I believe is, uh, which one, which bracket is this with the 99, 2000 team? Fotch? Boom, baby, baby, boom, baby. So we got 99, 2000 NBA finals Pacers going up against the 0102 team. And we've had the 95, 96 team going up against the 94, 95 team. So just real quick, you know, born ready to pot. What do you guys got in that first round matchup? The one versus the five. Uh, yeah, not even close. 99-2000 wins this one. Uh, definitely a championship contender here. Uh, won't be shocked when they win it. Number one ranked offense. NBA, NBA only team, Pacers team that's made the NBA finals. So they definitely have the edge here. Uh, just quick note on that 0102 team. Uh, they were the eighth seed, uh, and they took the Nets. That was back when series were First round series was best out of five games. So they took the Nets to five, uh, five games that season. Um, and then we had the big Reggie Miller moments in that game five, clutch three to force overtime. Um, and then he had the dunk to seal it into double overtime there. So just would be remiss if I didn't mention those great Reggie Miller moments. But obviously in this time, it's, it's 99, 2000, obviously. 
Yeah, it's not even close. And just specifically from that, 99-2000, we got to remember it took 41 points by Reggie Miller to beat the Bucks in the first round in a game five back when it was a five-game format. So yeah. clutch performances all around. And Austin Crozier had an amazing finals. He was probably the only other guy besides, what, Jalen and, and Reggie yeah. to actually play well. And that was very surprising. But, you know, without him, you know, I don't even think we win two games. So there was just no answer for Shaq, so we were never going to win that. But this is our team that has been to the finals, you know, so there's no way. I, I feel like they run the table maybe, you know, honestly. I think we yeah, missed t- Antonio Davis there in that series. Yeah. Yeah, big time. The thing I keep going, I, I just want to take a look at here. Just imagine a game where Dale Davis is on the floor at the same time as Ron Artest. Like, oh, my, that's a lot of testosterone, boys. That's a lot of testosterone. My question to you guys, who wins in a fist fight, Dale Davis or Ron Artest? Dale Davis, my opinion. I think Dale Davis. I think Dale. He's got a little bit more mass behind him. I don't think Ron Artest, you'd have to kill Ron Artest for him to lose. Oh, I don't 100%. think he should stop. So I think I would give it to Artest just because he wouldn't have, like, he wouldn't stop. I think Artest convinces you the fight's over, and then he just gets you from behind, you know? Yeah, that's so. definitely how it ends. I, I think so. You, you don't want to get in a fight with either of those guys, but I'm going with the you know the NBA Finals team all the way over here, 99-2000, just you know, coached by Larry Bird, like you mentioned, first-ranked offense in the NBA, just a, a great Pacers team that, man, if Kobe Bryant doesn't step up in Game 4 in overtime, things could be different, and that's ridiculous to even say when you're going up against MVP Shaq and Kobe on the rise as the Lakers start to repeat. So I feel like that 0-1-0-2 team, yeah, you know, it, it, it was fun. The Reggie Miller moments that you discussed, awesome. I mean, those those live amongst Pacer fans, but that 99-2000 team is taking care of business in this series. All right, well, let's move on. I agree with everything there. Let's move on. We got the 3-seed 95-96 versus the 2-seed 94-95 teams. Uh, I'll go ahead and throw my two cents in there. I think 94-95 wins this one. In a in a five game six game series, just that team that lost in seven games to the Orlando Magic in the Eastern Conference Finals was really impressive. You know, had a really good shot there of taking down once again Shaq's on the way. But hey, uh, that Magic team was really good. A lot of veterans around them. So I I, I like the Pacers team that took them to seven games. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I would agree. Ninety four ninety five definitely wins this one in my eyes. Uh, you know, I believe both teams will the same amount of games in the regular season. Uh, but once again, that ninety five ninety six team lost in the first round there to the Hawks. Um, so that was quite disappointing. But I do want to mention out quick story time, just because of this Knicks, uh, the Knicks talk here. They, that 94-95 team, that was the year Reggie Miller. Uh, you know, he scored eight points in nine seconds at Madison Square Garden. I've told this story unlimited times on our podcast, but now I'm going to tell it on yours. Last summer, I go to New York City, Madison Square Garden. I'm wearing my Reggie Miller choke t-shirt. Walk into Madison Square Garden for a tour. I walk out. It's a beautiful place. Definitely recommend you visit the tour if you go there. I walk out. In the lobby stands John Starks and uh, went and got a picture with him. Uh, and he was very nice, was willing to take a picture, complimented my shirt. Um, but, yeah, I, I just had to tell that story anytime I, I see the Knicks there and Reggie Miller. That, that's the first story that pops in my head now. Kind of a, you know, a humble brag there. Yeah. Yeah. I think the 94-95 team wins, but, you know, the 95-96 team had a lot of expectations, 
and Reggie Miller missed four games against the Hawks in the playoffs, the reason they lost that first round. Just some names to remember for the Hawks that year, Mookie Blaylock and, of course, Steve Smith. I feel like there's always a Steve Smith floating around doing something good. And they were the only team in the NBA to beat the Bulls twice that year, and the Bulls went 72-10, and 10, as we know. So I think it's closer than we think, but mm-hmm. I think the 94-95 team wins. Yeah, uh, I'm going to concur there. The only thing I want to add, um, and I, if this was not clear earlier, Chris came up with these statistics that I'm providing. It was not me in any way, shape, or form, so I don't want to take credit for it. However, that three, that 1995-1996 uh, team, uh, they actually had the best odds out of any of these teams to win the uh, NBA championship that year at plus 600. So they had a lot of expectations. Obviously, not having Reggie in that first round absolutely killed us. But um, that, by the preseason odds, Vegas is telling us that is the best team we've ever had, which is kind of mind blowing uh, if you break it down. But I think when it when it all comes down to it, I mean the the finally beating the Knicks eight points nine seconds game. I mean it's got to be 94 95 to me. Yeah, I think that's that's fair for all of us. Foch, what are your thoughts on that real quick? 94-95. It's just a shame, yet, you know, another series that we run to Shaquille O'Neal or LeBron James or Michael Jordan. But, you know, I feel like that 94-95 team, just very balanced. I mean, a really good defensive team, really good offensive team, just a team that was really on the cusp. And, and that's how it was in those mid-90s. I mean, 95-96. Obviously, our similar roster, same coach, but 94-95 is the team that I'm going with because, I mean, just a sweep in the first round, a game seven, another game seven. I mean, they were truly on the cusp of the NBA Finals for that. I mean, I think you can't go wrong there. Awesome. So we've got Chalk all the way through, through all three of our brackets. We're going to come to our last bracket, the Connecticut Water Bracket. Shout out Chris Denary, you know, doing the floss, born ready to pod, born ready to floss. Love that, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But let's talk a little bit here. This is an interesting matchup. We got the 2013-2014 Indiana Pacers, known as the GQ picture, going up against the beginning of the Oladipo era, 2017-2018 Indiana Pacers. So, Chris, you know, this is a recent, you know, teams that we know more familiar with here. What are your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, 17-18 team will always live dearly in our hearts. The team that over-exceeded expectations, over-under set for them before the year, 31 and a half. They ended up winning 48 games that year. Uh, We know what happened in the Cleveland series in the first round. But a competitive first series, uh, Victor Oladipo just, you know, becoming the star that he is that year winning most improved player all nba first uh first all nba defense um but i mean i think this team put together is a better team than um the 13 14 just playing together as a team i think that you know they are better in that aspect but 13-14 was such a solid team, number one in defense in the NBA. They had their struggles there at the end of the year, but they were very solid squad, and uh, I, I think that they definitely handle 17-18 in, the, in this case. Yeah, I'm going to go the other way. I think uh, I think 17-18 wins just because they have Lance Stevenson, and 13-14 does not well, have Lance Stevenson. Oh, they, they do. do. Oh, he's a starter. I didn't even now look it gets tough. So those right? two just going at it. I, I don't know how Which Paul Lance George was better. That's a good question. 13, 14. Uh, 13, 14. Uh, 13 the league in it and triple doubles. 
Yeah, he yeah. led the league, and he was he was uh, he tried to be an or he wanted to be an all star. He had an all star campaign, so he definitely was better that season. Yeah, so I was looking at the bench. I forgot Lance started there, so that that changes things a little bit. But with two Lance Stevensons on the court, will anybody else be able to like play? I feel like everyone's just going to be looking at those two. That's a whole other <laughs> dynamic. I don't know if we can factor that in. And just some memories from the seventeen eighteen year. It was Lance's last year in Indy. Uh, it, the first game of the season, we came out and scored 140 points against the Nets. I just remember being like, what is this new team we just created? You know, we got Bojan, a pleasant surprise, and just all the playoff moments from Lance holding up the ball, no call, goal 10, the blowing in the ear. You know, we were only in for one series, but there's just so many good moments from that series. Uh, I, I think, I think I'm giving the edge to 17 and 18. And for that 13, 14 season, the only thing I want to say is just RIP Rasul Butler. R.I.P. Rasul Butler. Um, the fact that Evan Turner's on the 2013-2014 roster specifically leads me to, for the upset. I'm going to go with the fourth seeded 2017-2018. I truly listen. I truly think if we could have avoided, like LeBron, like wanted to be the four seed that year. I don't know if you guys remember, but like he clearly was like it was so weird. He was sitting out games on purpose. Like he didn't give two flying shits. Um, sorry, cuss there, but I mean, he didn't, it doesn't, he didn't care about anything. Like if we would have played a normal fourth seed that year, I truly think we could have made a run. Like we took LeBron, we were at the game, Chris and I were at the game and I ended up getting to, getting into it with a couple of fans and I said, LeBron's going to LA and they thought I was an idiot and, and lo and behold, I was right. But I just, I just can't vote for a team with Evan Turner. I truly think 2017, 2018, they were a better team. Chris hit the nail on the head. They were a better basketball team than 2013, 2014, even though 2013, 2014 had better players, if that makes sense. So I think I'm going to go 2017, 2018, uh, in this matchup. What you said definitely does make sense because 2013, 2014, I think they do have maybe some of the better players. I mean, Paul George was just great. I mean, Roy Hibbert was, he was starting to fade off, but I mean, he still had some moments, but that 13, 14 team, they were sluggish towards the end of the year. It was, it started to get really worrisome. That first round series going to seven against the Hawks, that was not encouraging to see. Um, that 2017, 2018 team, just as you mentioned, I think if they don't run into LeBron in round one, they might go to the NBA Finals because they end up going up against a Celtics team without Kyrie, <laughs> without Gordon Hayward. I mean, like, it's crazy. That team, this could be an upset here. I oh am God. torn on this. I'm torn on this. I'm giving the nod to 2013-2014, though, just because I feel like that team went all in for a championship. I feel like guys like David West wouldn't let them fall behind. But – this could go to seven games. I think this is one of the most intriguing series out there. I'm going 2013-2014 by a hair. Yeah, the difference could come down to coaching. And Nate versus Frank, I, I think Nate loses that, if we're being honest. So it, it's close. I agree with that. I agree. Uh, yeah. Nate hasn't proved enough for me to win that matchup. But, Alex, what do you got? Well, I guess I'm the tiebreaker for this one. This is the first one we've actually been 50-50 on. I'm gonna I'm gonna go at 2013, 2014. Oh, let's go! Hate to pick the number one seed uh, and go chalk here, but here's what you got to realize: that 27, 18, uh, 2017, 2018 team, they were still kind of coming into their own. I mean, it took them until what game five, game six, how to learn how to break a double team. You know, yeah, that was bad. Cleveland yeah. literally didn't play Tristan Thompson the entire series until Game Seven. Made and he no goes up there and just completely dominates our entire you know front court on the boards. You know, Thad Young did an amazing job on Kevin Love. That was a fun matchup, and Kevin Love really was non-existent 
but it was like LeBron and Kyle Korver were the guys killing us. So uh, interesting series there, of course, you know, but I think that Pacers team kind of similar to the 20 uh, or 2003, 2004 team we talked about, or 2002, 2003 team we talked about earlier, you know, just a young team that was on the rise and they had to, you know, they had a chance. The goaltend obviously always sticks out. That was not called where LeBron goaltended Oladipo's layup. I mean, we were just seeing, and I, I'm really just disappointed that Oladipo got hurt the next year because we really didn't get to see what this team could be. And they completely just changed the entire way the roster was constructed after that. So really yep. interesting to see how the Pacers maneuvered that team, but they weren't expected to win. Even Kevin Pritchard said it. They were had no expectations. It's easier to win when you have zero expectations than a team that was putting everything on their shoulders to say, Hey, we're going to be the number one seed. We want to, you know, we can beat the Heat if we get home court. So that's why I'm going to pick that 2013-2014 team, just because, you know, they made the Eastern Conference Finals. It was a fun it was a fun series. And let's not forget, Andrew Bynum was dominant for two games. I mean, he was completely dominant. The beginning yeah, of the end. So Roy dominant Hibbert. that just Roy Hibbert just caved in and just pretty yeah. much, you know. He, that he says more on Hibbert. Play, that says more about Hibbert was than happening. it does Bynum. I know, I know. That was brutal. But I'm with you guys. The, the fact that Evan Turner's on that 2013-14 team almost swayed me enough. Yeah, really, the hatred's that strong. Why do you guys hate Evan Turner so much? Because he was a fraud. You trade. We traded Granger for that. He showed that being the best player on the worst team, it doesn't mean much. Well, you traded yeah. an injured Granger that was never going to play again for a guy that was Locker on the worst room. team in the NBA with like three I, wins. I agree. I agree. Hi, what were you expecting? He wasn't going to be the savior. Can you give me 13? 12? <laughs> no. You know, I mean, yeah, there were, there were playoff games where he didn't even play. That's yeah, strep, true. Strep throat in game one against the Heat didn't play. Whatever. Yeah. It was like, are you kidding me? Suit up. Plus, apparently Lance Stevenson punched him in the face. You know everybody took Lance's side. Any and enemy of Lance's is an enemy of ours. So I agree. I agree. I'll go to war for Lance. All right. Last matchup here. I don't want to keep going too long. We got a pretty fun one here, and it's the 2004-2005 Brawl team going up against a team that lost to the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals. So uh, what do you guys got here? All right, in this matchup, I'm going 98-99 all day over the 0405 team because, look, while that 0405 team, you know, they're coming off of the the previous year where they won 61 wins, you got to remember, Ron Artest is not eligible, unfortunately. He's been suspended for 73 games in the rest of the season, and that was just a huge blow to that team. Uh, they ended up falling short in the second round. 98-99, I felt like that's a team where I think that was the year we left. Larry Johnson ends up hitting that four-point play, which I still believe shouldn't have been a continuation. I think that nope. kind of changed the series. Um, and the Knicks end up going on in the NBA Finals. That Pacers team, 98-99, it could have been two straight finals. Uh, one of the, the best uh, offenses in the NBA that year, I believe, and obviously another year coached by Larry Bird. Uh, so I'm going with 98-99. I felt like that team was finals worthy. Yeah, the 98-99 team is going to win this all day. Uh, it was the first season post-Michael Jordan with the Bulls, and we were the odds-on favorite to win the title to start the year, I believe, or one of a couple teams at least. So that team overall, they are just they have the horses. You know, they were in the finals the next year. That 0-4-0-5 team, nothing really significant about that team, it was, besides David Harrison being drafted, kind of the biggest monumental part of that. So I, I think 0-4-0-5 might have – 
some voters just because of the brawl and everything. But, you know, 98-99 wins that game every time. Yeah, Chris, you have any thoughts on that? Uh, 04-05 would have been the obvious winner. But like you said, runner test not eligible. That team starting off very, very good that year. Uh, the brawl and everything that happened in between. So if that's the case, I'm definitely going 98-99. But if there's a loophole and somehow we just get the team, you know, that was supposed to be constructed in 0405, then I would give it to 0405. But since that's not the case, 98-99 it is. And that 0405 playoff, I remember that was the game Paul Pierce got ejected for, you know, ch- chucking Jamal Tinsley in the face. And then he, he took off his jersey and was swinging around <laughs> his head. And, and the, that was a good moment. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I just, I, I just want to mention real quick, Sam Perkins. I love Sam Perkins. Uh, what a stud. Uh, Sam Perkins, that lefty, uh, just a sweet, sweet three-point stroke. And I, I really – I mean, he's he's the swing vote here for me, 98-99, just because of Sam Perkins. All right, Big swing smooth, vote smooth. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting matchup too because you have to remember that 98-99 team was the year of the lockout as well. So – the Knicks yeah. were an eight seed, which they more than likely wouldn't have been if the lockout hadn't happened. You know, they got hot at the right time, and that just kind of ended up hurting the Pacers in the end. But, you know, it's it's fun to talk about. So I think we're all in agreement here that number two seed, 98-99 team, will move on. But according to our voting committee, which is very shocking, uh, five out of uh, the five of the nine guys voting picked the 0405 team, so they moved on. So we got the only upset there was the three seed oh four oh five team beating the ninety eight ninety nine Pacers team. So uh not sure about that one, but uh so far right now with the Elite Eight matchups we got all one and two seeds except for that last one I just mentioned. So any final thoughts on the bracket before we wrap this up? I know we've spent a long time talking about this March Madness Pacers bracket, so I only have one thing. Who did Kristen Airy vote for in that matchup? That's all I care about. I don't know. It's private voting, so. Uh... Darn. <laughs> all right, that's all I got. I wish I knew. I, think, I can ask him. I think we had a couple juicy matchups here, but the Elite Eight is going to get intense. I think some people might be, uh, not not to say coming to blows over that. We're not going to have a Dale Davis versus Ron Artest situation. But, you know, I, I think that's where it gets uh, really, really intense. So I'm excited for that. All right. So, Hawk, you know, this week we know you do around the NBA or around the association, but there is nothing really going on in the association except we got the the one and only, the former ESPN analyst now on iHeartRadio for Fox Sports Indiana, Chris Broussard. He dropped some bars this week on Twitter, and it kind of went viral because it was pretty bad. And so – we just want everybody to know that Hawk has bars, and you know we want to hear you give us your best Chris Broussard impersonation, or you know maybe just go head to head with Broussard and give us a little bit better of a rap here. Yeah, this is going to be—it's more of a slam poetry than a rap. Like I said earlier, I'm not much of a rap, but maybe we can do it over a beat. Chris, would you like to give me a beat? All I got is like. Okay, not bad, not bad. Okay, here we go. They say hindsight is 2020. Well, in hindsight, we should have seen COVID-19 coming to end the NBA season of 2019-2020. Everyone from Mike Breen to Draymond Green feared the highball screen progressively louder coming from Sabonis. Oladipo wasn't proven while this plague started moving. The Holiday Brothers were becoming a menace 
leaving opposing defenses looking like Venice. McDermott was playing like he was created in a laboratory, playing like a virus attacking defenders' respiratory. T.J. Leaf brought up the rear. It wasn't his year. Jimmy Butler's day of reckoning never came. That would have been an incredible game. Lance Stevenson's return never came. But Born Roddy, Born Ready will never change its name. We will continue to stand by Lance and his great fortitude, at least until the day comes we get sued. Like Jamal Murray posting a nude, I will not let this virus ruin my mood. While outside forces try to turn us into dust, we must learn and adjust like Victor Oladipo knocking off the rust. We must be smart and not act like clowns, support each other, and head this serious warning from Carl Anthony Towns. Love, support, and following the rules is how we get this done. Then we go back to having fun. Oh, wow. That's cool. Oh, oh man. man. Association is – that was the best version. Yeah, you like that? I did. I just want to know what happened to bars. Chris's beat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I got tired. <laughs> Maybe if you can uh, clip that up for us, we'll retweet it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're going to we're gonna have to get that uh, figured out. But I have to – I have to ask because Hawk, you dropped some uh, knowledge about some high school days for your co-host here, uh, Jake and Chris. You want to tell us that about their little high school rap group? You know, I'll let them start because I was always a fan. You know, the Whitey Tidies for me was like my modern day. I don't even know Backstreet Boys. I kind of put them up there on the similar Beastie Boys echelon. So I'll let them talk about the Whitey Tidies. I want to make I want to make this pretty clear. We we were not great. Uh, in fact, <laughs> I will start off by saying we went to a little country school in the middle of uh, Indiana. So um, we thought we would be really cool and start a rap group called the Whitey Tidies. Um, and so that's it was pretty sick. Um, I know Chris was we put our heart and soul into that. Uh, we had a bunch of white guys in the group. We tried to we tried to go you know have add some diversity and. Our, our buddies didn't want to be in it. So we ended up with, as the Whitey Tidies. Uh, we took it very seriously at the time. However, uh, I can't remember. What my, I might have been Young Peanut Butter. Uh, I think that was my actual name. Uh, and uh, I was I was very – I just sounded as white as humanly possible. So uh, it Let was – the record show, he literally just made up that name. I have never heard of Young Peanut Butter. <laughs> I, no, listen. I think if we go back, you're going to – or maybe I was the narrator. I was somebody. Yeah, you were the narrator. narrator. His name was the narrator. How's that even close? <laughs> it's a little Peanut different. Butter. A little different. Yeah, that was hey, a few yeah. years ago. Guys. I don't know. Well, I listen, it was a good story, and uh, if you, if somebody were to find that on YouTube, it would be pretty embarrassing for us. And um, One of the pictures for our songs on there is Hawk dressed in a pink robe. <laughs> so yeah, I did the album artwork, so that was, that was the highlight of my career for a while. You guys aren't alone. I used to be known as M Fizzle, and that is an absolute fact. So I used to hit myself, but I didn't have a group. It was more just me, but uh, one man show. M Fizzle, uh, what you got on the spot? uh, My rhymes are my rhymes are not appropriate for there. So uh, (laughs) I I gotta throw that out there. So I got nothing today for you. All right, you guys can tune in later for our Dark Nights with M Fizzle. Uh, coming out later on a different feed, not this one. But anyway, fellas, it's been fun talking to you. Hopefully you guys are, you know, enjoying uh, listening to this content. It's always good to collab with our friends from Born Ready to Pod. Chris, Hawk, Jake, great talking with you. Botch, great talking with you. And until next time, peace out, Pacer Nation. Peace Let's out. Go Pacers. Thanks. Appreciate it. Wash your hands.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.